0: Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk, a podcast on recovery with Elizabeth Pudwell and MG. We bring you our experience, strength, and hope from a variety of sources therapy, 12 step recovery, and life lessons of long term sobriety. To contact us, email sober sisters talk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Sober Sisters Talk. We're glad you're here. Now, here's our next podcast. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email sober sisters talk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Hi, everybody. This is MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. And together, we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome, you guys. So, it is Friday, July 9th, and Elizabeth and I are meeting right before our Friday night podcast. We'd love for you to join. You've got the information on the earlier part of this um, recording. So, it's part of our ritual, and tonight we've been talking about where to go for help, and Initially, when I thought like I needed help, I thought therapist, and that's a great place to start. And my recovery journey began in 1989 when I went to a therapist in Navarre Beach, Florida, and uh, tried to get his help because I was in love with this alcoholic man. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I said, I'm smoking a lot of pot. And he said, "Oh, that's not that big of a deal." I just made a horrified look, listeners. So let's go get some more. <laughs> I'm like, I like this therapist. He's telling me all the right things. mean, it's, so it's like yes, they just go, "Oh, okay.
1: Well, you can go ahead and do that." And you're like, "Oh, I can."
0: Super. To
1: listen to their own heart, just you know.
0: And so, and then. My sister actually turned me on to Al-Anon because she was married to an alcoholic and she'd been going to Al-Anon. So the first meeting I ever went to was in, I don't know what month, but, you know, 1989. It was some sometime in August, November, December of 1989. And I remember it was a huge meeting and there were all these people there talking about their alcoholic. What was wrong with their alcoholic? And I'm like thinking, oh my God, I just got to get rid of this guy. That was my solution. I was like, I never want to come back to this kind of shit ever. And so, you know, that, that, those were the first two little, you know, I went to see that therapist two or three times and then the Al-Anon meeting. And I was like, I got to get out of here. And I eventually like moved out and moved to Houston. But that was right after a suicide attempt. So... (laughs) <laughs> not like, that that's funny but <laughs> it's hilarious it. now because I'm like thinking oh my god how fucked up was I my god <gasps> oh so, but I'm not going back to that meeting but yeah but I mean it was like I was reaching out for help and you would think that a therapist and a sister and Al-Anon would get me there but it was really through the grace of God because I didn't end up committing suicide. I ended up actually going and getting high and then moving to Houston the next day. December 12th, 1989. So, but but they they you know, laid some like I'm not going to say eggs. That's a horrible thing. That they, you know, they they gave me some hints as to where help could be. So, when I got to Houston, I was um I moved in with a friend of mine here in Montrose in the heart of the gay ghetto, and uh, he was like saying, you need to go over here to this place, this Montrose Counseling Center. You can get therapy for cheap. And I went there, and they were asking me all these questions about drugs, drugs, drugs. Have you ever done this drug? Have you ever done that drug? Yes, yes. Have you ever blacked out? Yes. But not on alcohol. I blacked out on whippets, like, you know, nitrous oxide, Anyway, they were like, okay, well, you qualify, like, after an hour and a half, and I'm like, what do I qualify for? He goes, oh, this is a drug treatment program. I'm like, okay, and they said, you know, based on that, uh, this is a drug uh, treatment program. Do you promise to not do any drugs? And I was like, well, this drug or that drug? no, 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 no drugs. I'm like, oh, okay. So my sobriety date is March 3rd, 1990, but it wasn't because I went to an AA meeting. It was because I wanted to get therapy at Montrose Counseling Center. And thankfully I had a fantastic therapist and I met met with uh, him twice a week and then I had group therapy once a week. And that really was the good therapy that I needed. So that's sort of like where initially I began to get help. How about you?
1: Well, it's interesting that what I recognize when I hear you say that, it's like you really didn't know what you were looking for. You just wanted whatever you thought would help, you know? And I was kind of in the same spot. So my first bout with therapy was I had rear-ended an 18-wheeler and hurt somebody drinking and driving. And the, my lawyer said, you should probably go to therapy, you know, just to show them that you're, you know, doing whatever it takes, you know, to show the the judge. And so I did. And the, the therapist that I went to was in Baytown and she kept telling me to go to, um, AA. And I was like, like talking to me like I was an alcoholic or something, you know,
0: <laughs> Imagine <laughs> If they don't know me. I was like, I don't like this therapist. You, know? <laughs> you should have gone to mine in the Beach, Florida. He would have been like, "Let's drink right now, light it up." Oh my God.
1: So, um, I, I, you know, when I, I, when I went to, when I, when I, when I really realized I needed help, I'd already been in. Um, I was. I'd already been to jail. I'd done my. Um, my six weeks, um, as a condition of my probation. And I got out and I was assigned to this, um, they called it a class, but it was really just like everybody in there was just doing time. They were just hanging out. And I met this guy in there and I, we were kind of like friends. And, um, there was a, a guy that was in AA that was leading it, but everybody just sat in there and talked and they weren't really doing anything. There wasn't any, format to it, no real discussion. And I remember sitting there thinking, "Ah, this isn't going to work. I need, I need friends who don't drink on purpose. I need people in my life who are, you know, abstaining from alcohol on purpose. And that's when I started going to AA. And um, it, it really, I had no idea what I was going to get there or what you know, what kind of help I was going to get, but it was like, you know, on the other side of where you were, like just knowing that I needed something, but not knowing what I wanted, but I knew that I needed people in my life that didn't, that were abstaining from their addiction.
0: Do you remember your first meeting? I do.
1: Um,
0: Is that the one where you were in the front row and you know, the guy called on you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm Yeah. But I went to a meeting in Baytown before that. And that's when I was
1: still, um, before I'd gone to jail and um, then I was like, Ooh, so, you know, I think the point of this part of our discussion, it's not all of it, but listener, I think it's really important that you find a meeting that has people that you can resonate with people that like, so the, the meeting that I went to in Baytown, that was not my demographic. Um, you know, the woman, told, there was a woman in there who told a story, and, and um, they, they they were not professional people. They were mostly, um, you know, probably kind of blue-collar, and the language was different than what I was used to, and it was very hick. It was all Barrow, you know, Southern and Black.
0: Ugh. I don't know, though, Elizabeth, you know, Lucy, who was on our podcast shares that you know here she was, this young little girl Quaker, and she goes to this old boy meeting in Iowa, you know, a bunch of old farmers and stuff, and you know she it they it did resonate with her, so whether or not they might look like you or not look like you, you
1: the whole point is is can you hear them? yeah, you know?
0: yeah, yeah, and yeah.
1: I couldn't, I was not there yet, I can go now
0: and hear yes me too like yes. I
1: I have like my I'm a lot more open now yes and I can go anywhere and hear yes. but I could not hear them and I think that that's my message is, is that it is so important that you do hear the message and if you don't go to a different meeting because the one that I ended up my AA meeting that became my staple was the one downtown the one at the at um the cathedral center the yeah. cathedral
0: rub tree beers yeah
1: yeah, and it's all professional people. Um, there's no hanging out before, or after everybody goes in for the meeting. It's an hour and then you leave. And it's lawyers, attorneys, judges, you know, um, accountants, uh, financial planners, and all the people that work downtown.
0: Right, and I didn't resonate with those Al Anon that first Al Anon meeting because I thought they were all bitching and complaining about their alcoholic. And you know, I I, I was like, this isn't this isn't a solution for me. I can right. do that all day long, but what's the solution? I couldn't hear a solution.
1: And you know what I went to, when I went to an al meeting, it, even just recently, I found that same thing. I I struggle with al meetings because I want depth and I want solution. And um, it feels like they stay on the surface to me. Not saying that they do, I just say that's what it feels like
0: to yeah. me. There's a great Sunday night meeting over at Lambda that I really love to go to. But sometimes I feel like, you know, uh, because my therapist used to say, stop going to Lambda. And I'm like, why? He goes, you know, that's for people who are gay and lesbian to have a safe place to share. He goes, you need to push yourself and go outside and go to like either a co-ed meeting or, you know, but a straight meeting. And, you know, and I understand why he did that then. But for now, you know, that meeting does have a lot of depth. It does have a lot of recovery. So I think I might check them out. And they also have like a a Wednesday night double winners meeting at 630 that I might go check out. So, you know, because I, I, you know, right now with some stuff that's going on with my family, I really need that specific support for that technology you know, the technology that they offer, you know, for example, they're really big on acronyms, like the four M's of Al-Anon. Don't mother, don't manage, don't manipulate or martyr. You know, don't try stop it. What are you doing? Don't, don't go, don't drive down there to Clear Lake and like try to get his a key so you can go get a copy, you know, in case he dies and you need to get into, uh, stop it. Is he asking you to do that? No. So you're trying to manage the situation. Yeah, no, I'm, Dude, I got the same disease. Right. You know, I can't mother him. I can't say, well, did you did you make that doctor's appointment? Well, don't you think you should? No. Uh-uh. I'm not going to martyr. I'm not going to say, well, here, let, move in with me and let me take care. No. Don't manage. Don't mother. Don't manipulate. And I was the product of manipulation. My other sister manipulated him into doing something, and I ended up getting my feelings hurt. And I was like, there she is getting in there trying to like, you know, run her racket. So, you know, like those 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 little things that can really help me to remember, hey, hey, hey. So, oh, I
1: like that other one that says, does something need to be said? Yes. Does something need to be said right now? Yes. Does something need to be said right now by me? Right. And that's one that I recently had to practice with the situation that I'm dealing with. And, you know, I'm really big about like thinking about where I'm at. So I had a situation with a family member that I needed to discuss and I have to like, sit and think about it. Okay. Like, who do I know? And and I, you know, that that has dealt with this. And so I called my sister because that is the person, first of all, I know that this sister is going to be really fucking honest with me, like brutally honest. You know she doesn't hold any punches she's not you know doesn't say something because she doesn't want to hurt my feelings she says it and i needed that and then also she's dealt with the same situation and she's on the other side in her situation with her family member is like so much better and i want that and the advice that she gave me her you know she called me back today and she told me you know i've been thinking about what we talked about and she said you know, our father, um, was just like this and our father would get mad. Like he would ostracize people, like kick them out of their life. You know, if you didn't do something or act the way he wanted you to, he would just like close the door. And, um, you know, I don't want to handle things that way. Um, that isn't how, you know, my third step practice, my third step work is to make a decision and then look and see what it is that God wants for me. What is, Mm -hmm. you know, how do, what do I look like? How does Elizabeth behave in this situation? If she's allowing God to work through her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not by like, shutting the door and being all pissed off. And you know, I'm never going to talk to you again.
0: Right. I'll sometimes ask my question. What would the most recovered melody do? I'm sorry. What would the most recovered MG do?
1: the highest version of me what
0: would that be yeah what would my best self do in this situation so I get that and what I love about that Elizabeth and this is a piece of it too that I think can help us and the listeners as well and I also believe this is why 12 step recovery works is because we want advice from someone who has gone through it and had a positive outcome on the other side I mean if I'm going to learn how to swing dance I'm not going to go to you know a hip hop class I mean Hey, show me how to swing dance, you guys, or be like, oh no, no, this is the hip hop class. Go outside the door and go down the left. You know, I mean, they can show me how to hip hop dance, but they're not going to show me how to swing dance. And so, when we're trying to learn a new technology, we want experts. We want uh, mastery. I mean, I'm getting old. I ain't got time to pussyfoot around. I got it. I don't
1: want to. I don't want to like be. You know, I don't want a tender, gentler way. I want to get to it. You know. I wanna to get to it. I wanna know what the answer is. I wanna know what the work is for myself. And that is exactly the inf- the feedback that I got from my sister it was like, the- here, this is probably the work you have to do. And I was like, you're right, you know? Yeah. And as much, as hard as it is, and as much as I don't wanna do it, she was right. And you know, I did the same thing with money. Like when I was struggling financially, I started going to DA. And I was struggling with some stuff with um, one of my kids. I was enabling that kid. I was help bailing him out whenever he needed it. And I went to the meeting and I shared that. And I had so many people afterwards come up to me and say, call me. And I called one, the one woman that I called. She said, I have a son and I was doing the same thing. And I'll tell you my story and she did. And I knew by the time we were done, I knew exactly what I needed to do.
0: Wow, wow.
1: So I guess the message is here is like, first of all, I think it's really important that we're able to, because when I first, when in this recent situation, and maybe you feel like this with your, this situation with your family member, I didn't know what I needed. I just knew I was uncomfortable and I needed a little, I needed to be able to process something to talk.
0: And the piece of it was Elizabeth is that you were unwilling to stay in that discomfort. And so I was willing cause I, that resonates with me because you know, I was no longer willing to be in that pain any longer. And I mean, that's the alternate. I mean, we can stay I can stay in my disease easy peasy. You know, when that therapist was like saying, yeah, smoking pot isn't that big of a deal. I'm like, great. You know, two months later, I'm, you know, pouring bleach and fucking ammonia in a bathtub. I'm going to kill myself by noxious chemicals. I'm going to kill myself by cleaning. What an Al-Anon trip was that? I just imagine my body laying. martyr. Yeah, martyr for sure. Being found (laughs) in the bathroom and his guilt that I'm putting onto him. Thousands of miles away, she died cleaning your bathroom. Oh, my God. You know, get off the stage, drama queen. So, you know, it's like uh, that's the impetus. And I love that phrase, you know, we got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so we became willing to do something different. And I think that that's a, a key piece of all of this. So I, I would say to our listeners, you know, to, when you look for help, don't give up. Like, don't give up five minutes before the miracle. Don't give up five minutes before finding that great therapist. Don't don't give up five minutes before finding that great meeting.
1: And you know, when I did that too, like one, um the first outreach call I made when I went to a SLAA meeting. And it was horrible. If I would have kept, if I would have, if I would have, if I would have, like, you know, uh, just been like, oh, uh, I mean, it was not good. I did not get the help that I needed. But thank God I kept calling and I kept going and I kept yeah. trying. Yeah. And I did find what I needed and I found the help that I needed. You know, I didn't have somebody say, well, how's that feel? Well, fuck, I don't know how that feels like I, I just want to know what, what to is do-
0: <laughs> I'm like four minutes sober I don't know what's going on in my head no I don't know
1: anything I'm just trying not to call this motherfucker you know yes I know I know I know it's not it, it, and so I do I do want to tell you listener I do remember what that felt like you know in the beginning I led a meeting a couple of nights ago and I talked about, um, like the, the gifts, the willingness and the things that I had to do. And, um, I remember like I was a mess, you know, I was a mess for a long time and it was really painful and there was no instant gratification. It did not happen overnight. I thought I was crazy in the beginning. I used to go to tell my Iris, my therapist, I said, you need to do a lobotomy. Like, can you do that? Can you just, like, schedule me and take a part of my brain out? I'm fucking crazy. I yeah. cannot stop.
0: Yeah, same. You know? Yeah.
1: But I just kept doing it over and over. When the thought, when he would come into my head, I would do, keep me clean and sober. And I just kept doing it over and over and over again. Until it stopped. Yeah. And I don't even know when it stopped. I just know there was a gradual easing. Yes. And then, um, you know, there was this time I remember what I wanted, what I was shooting for is having that like, I think it's been a half a day and I haven't even thought about him.
0: Right. I mean, it's been a week. It's been a week. And then it was a
1: week and a month. And then now I can say his name or, You know, and it doesn't do anything anymore, you know, but it took me a minute listener and I just want to encourage you, you're worth it. Stay, you know, give yourself the the gift of it's the, the, and, and this applies to the situation that I'm dealing with right now with a family member is that I'm, you know, on the other side of that, it's worth it. There are gifts on the other side of that work of the pain that I have to go through, and it's worth
0: it. I love that, Elizabeth. And, you know, similar to you, I've been cleaning up some email, and I found some emails that I'd sent to myself back in 2007 when I, you know, was officially out of my mind. I was very mentally ill, very mentally ill. And I had printed out like this, um, ap- these affirmations and these prayers and all of these like things I could put on my altar. And and I, re- I remember seeing all that because I was so desperate. Every day I just had to cling by my little like little tiny fingernails to something before until I could get to a meeting until I could, you know, like therapy was only once a week. I needed it every day. I needed to talk to this guy every day. All day, every day. All day, all day, every day. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, and I can remember hanging by my fingernails and just being, just clinging to it and just having this sense of anxiety that would come over me. So I get it, you know, and so I'm like, you know, listeners don't give up. And I mean, uh, today, listeners, you have so many resources. You've got Podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got tons of different books and content available online like that. You're, you know, not, meetings. There's you, Zoom meetings in every city still. And that's right. That's right. You, know, that's you can right. get to a
1: meeting. You don't have to, you know, go find one geographically. You can get to one on a Zoom, and it will save your life. You know,
0: and treatment and therapy around sex and love addiction has just become really a fantastic process. PM Melody's got workshops. I think I think the Meadows has shit now, you know, that you can go to. There's so many different treatment plans. So there is hope. And there's fellowship,
1: you know, that is what in the end once I started going to meetings regularly and we started fellowshipping afterwards or before, that is what really saved me. That, like, you know, we would meet um there was four women's meetings and before the sunday meeting and the thursday meeting we would meet at um the madeline's over by um shepherd by st john's and have coffee and at one point there was probably 15 to 20 women there just sitting there gabbing having coffee laughing and then we would go to the meeting and we would bring this energy the same energy in and you know that it made me feel like I was a part of, it made me feel like I was important. It made me feel like I mattered. It made me feel known and people were listening to me and cared about me and it, it saved me. Fellowship,
0: Amen. fellowship. And I think that the laughter was key to that for me oh. because I was so serious and everything was just a train wreck around me. And I just was always crying. And then so, you know, to go and like, you know, like you and I, we were laughing about my suicide, you know, it was like, right, I mean, I can have some levity about it now. That's how far away I am from that situation where I can't have some levity. But having people, you know, be like irreverent and laugh about some stuff, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can find some humor in this. And that was like uplifting that it's not also doom and gloom, like sister, you better get your shit straight right now or you're going straight to hell. You know, it wasn't any of that kind of stuff. I it was, was like, in Shh.
1: hell. You right. Can't it's can't like, get come on, let's go a meeting. Business. Come on. Yes. Yeah. So fellowship, I think is a really big part of it. I think, you know, routine and having, um, showing up at the same place every time, you know, for me really helped. And, right,
0: right. And and not only did it help you, Elizabeth, it helps us too. Because what you, what you modeled for me is consistency. What you mm-hmm. modeled for me is that this is somebody that's going to show up. What you modeled for me was exhibiting someone that I knew that I could trust. Because if you've got the little bag that you're going to like lead the meeting and you have to take the little bag and here's all the little bag with all the shit in the little bag and then the money in the bag, what do you do with the money? Oh, you got to give that to so-and-so. It's like, oh my God, it's so complicated. Ah, the bag. Ah." And you know, you took the bag and you were like, oh, she's taking the bag. I can trust her with money and, and, you know, commitments and she's going to be at the meeting. And so I was like, okay. And so you modeled for me, well, I can do that little bit too. And so me showing up for a meeting was like the baby steps for me learning how to show up for myself. Right. Me learning how to handle these, you know, little donations was, you know, a way for me to learn how to take care of my own money. Uh, You know, it's just a, such a small step. But it's like a glimpse of
1: the higher self.
0: Yes. Know? Yes, yes, yes. And we get to practice in this little practice environment before we go out in the world. Right. And then going out in the world, you know, has its own lessons as well, but... You know, that's where I live most of my life now, is out in the world, and I really try to do a really good job of taking, you know, practicing these principles in all my affairs, and, you know, I have to say uh, to you and to the listeners that today, even though I still have my chest stuff, my congestion, my cough, my wheezing, I haven't felt this good in years. I've been supplementing and like doing a whole bunch of new things and I've been feeling really good. And that really paid off at work today because it was super stressful and people were having little mini meltdowns around me. And I just was good. I was good. So, you know, keep at it, listeners. Keep looking for the help wherever you can. If it's not place number one, place number two. Place number three. Keep at it. It's worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. And so is recovery. Amen. Well, thank you so much, listeners. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sober Sisters Talk podcast. To find our podcast, we're at www.sobersisterstalk.com. We're also on Apple iTunes and on Facebook. See you next week.